If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open them to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look this morning at verses 1 through verse 28, take a brief break from the book of Matthew this morning and look to the example of Hannah. And Hannah this morning has something uh, to teach all of us. I know that most of you in this room are not a woman and you're not a mother, but you don't get a pass today. Uh, Hannah has something to teach you. So ladies, uh, if that guy next to you starts to nod off, you got my permission. You just, you just give him an elbow in the gut this morning and uh, you keep him awake. Because God has something for all of us this morning. Doesn't matter who you are. Um, your student, Hannah has something to teach you. If you're an individual here that loves the Lord and you're seeking to follow him, can I tell you, Hannah has something to teach us. Because Hannah is an example of faithfulness. She is a picture of what it means to be faithful to God. And she's going to be faithful to God despite her circumstances. Because everything in Hannah's life is kind of contrary to her following God and being faithful to him. Um, the cultural environment of Hannah's day was horrible. The people of Israel had kind of intermingled with the Philistines and it just created all kinds of immorality amongst the people of God. So the cultural climate's really bad. The spiritual climate of her day wasn't any better. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, it'll say the word of the Lord was rare in that, those days, meaning God's not speaking much to the people. And it means that the pulpits aren't proclaiming the word. The prophets aren't doing their job. And, and so the spiritual climate... In fact, today we're going to see that... Uh, the priest Eli, he's not even going to be able to distinguish between spirituality and drunkenness. That's not a good place to be. Culturally, spiritually, in her home life, she's one of two wives. Not a good situation. We'll look at that in a moment. And in her personal life, she's going through deep pain. She's barren. Painful situation. Everything in her life is contrary in that Yet in the midst of this hopeless situation, she's going to be faithful. And some of you can identify this morning a little bit with, with Hannah. Because you know you're a child of God and you're seeking to follow him. And yet everything in your life, all the circumstances of your life seem to be contrary to following God. You feel like you're, you're swimming an uphill battle. And, and I hope and pray today that if that's you, you will draw encouragement from Hannah. Because she's going to be faithful and she's going to raise a boy. She's going to give birth to a son. She's going to raise this boy up and he's going to love God. And he'll be the last of the judges. He's going to lead the people until the time of the first great king, David. And that boy is going to get two books of the Bible named after him. I'd say that's a pretty good life. I'd say that's a pretty good mama. It's a pretty good person. And what was the key to her life? What made all the difference? One thing, faithfulness to God. Listen, we all got troubles. Everybody has struggles. Everybody faces obstacles. I'm here to tell you this morning that the difference between true success in the biblical wife and failure is not your circumstances. It's your faithfulness to God. The determining factor of whether you'll know success, not success as this world knows it, but true biblical success is will you be faithful to God 
right where you're at, regardless of the circumstances. That's the example of Hannah. I want us to read the whole story. It's long, a lot of verses, but I want you to stand with me this morning because we need to read it together. We need to see this, and then we're gonna, we're gonna look at Hannah's life again. But let's stand together in honor reading God's word. First Samuel chapter one, beginning in verse one, it says, now there was a certain man from Ramathim Zophim from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeraham, the son of Elehu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penaniah. And Penaniah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. And when the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penaniah's wife and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And it happened year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her so she wept and would not eat. And then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat and why is your heart so sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? And then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. And now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple. And she, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come on his head. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. And then Eli answered and said, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And then they arose early in the morning, and she worshiped before the Lord and returned again to the house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And it came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I've asked him of the Lord. And then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. And then I'll bring him, that he may be appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Remain until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. And then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I've also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. 
that is living and active. God, I pray that you'd speak to all of us this morning. That we'd know the principles of this text. We'd see clearly what it means to be faithful to you in a world and a culture that's contrary to you. That we might raise up another generation that would follow after you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So the key to Hannah's life will be faithfulness. Her faithfulness to the Lord will mark every area of her life. And as you read this story, the area of her life that sticks out primarily is her faithfulness to her husband. And the question is, how is Hannah going to relate to her husband? And this is critical because we very clearly see two things about Elkanah. Number one, we see that Elkanah, her husband, is not perfect. I mean, you see in verses one through two, Elkanah has two wives, and you need to understand polygamy in the Old Testament is not uncommon, but I want to be very clear, God does not condone polygamy ever. His design has always been Adam and Eve, his design has always been one man and one woman. In every instance where you see polygamy in the Old Testament, you always see a messed up situation, double the trouble every time. And we go down a whole list, but Abraham and Sarah are one of the most prominent that come to mind. They bring in Hagar, and you remember that situation, how'd that end up? It was a mess, and in fact, we're still dealing with the results of that mess today in the Middle East. And so God never uh, condones polygamy, and when we get to the New Testament, the people of God come to full sonship, we don't don't see it anymore. But here's the point, here's the point you gotta see. Hannah has married a sinner, And wives, I'm going to let you in on a little secret that you probably already know at this point. You married a sinner too. And if you're engaged to be married this morning, you have any notion that that man is perfect, give him time. (laughs) All right? Okana is an imperfect sinner. Man, this guy is deeply flawed. But on the other hand, what what do we also see? We see that he loves God. So he's flawed, he's a sinner, but he's a God-fearing man. Look at verse three, it says, this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh and the two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord there. And it says yearly, most believe that this doesn't mean that he just went up once a year, but that he was faithful in going up. They were required to go up three times a year, but it's showing us that this man was faithful in his worship to the Lord. He loved God, he was a God-fear. In fact, it mentions Hophni and Phinehas, and if you know your Old Testament, these are two bad guys. They, they're the sons of Eli, they don't follow God, and it's almost as if Scripture is holding up Hophni and Phinehas and saying, these guys are unfaithful. But here's Elkanah, and as best he can, even as a flawed sinner, he loves God. And so the question is, how will Hannah respond? How will she respond to this guy who's flawed, but a God-fearer? And what we see is that she's respectful towards Elkanah. Despite all the imperfections of her husband, she is faithful in her commitment, and she's respectful. And Elkanah, he, he, he's a funny guy to me. You look at verses 7 through 8, it says, It happened year after year as often as they went up to the house of the Lord. She meaning Penaniah, would provoke her so she wept and would not eat. And then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? She's, she's upset, she's crying, and Elkanah goes to her and goes, why are you upset? You got me. <laughs> you men ever said that to your wife? Well, you can't, how can you be upset when you got me? Man, just, Elkanah cracks me up. But, but I, think, I think his heart was this. You know what I think his heart was? 
his heart was, I know it's hard for you, but you need to know this. I love you. And you see it in, you see it in Elkanah. He had a deep love for Hannah. And he knows she's in pain. And children in that culture were a means of insurance. It was, it was uh, your children, especially for women, was the assurance that you're going to be taken care of as you grow old. That you'll have these children who will look after you. And Elkanah is saying to his wife, you don't have any need to be worried. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. And so even though he's flawed, he, he loves his wife. And so he encourages her, don't be sad. And how does Hannah respond in verse 9? It says she gets up and she eats. In other words, she listened to her husband. She, she received correction. She didn't yell back at Elkanah and say, you don't have any idea what I'm going through. You sorry loser, I ain't listening to you. She just quietly and respectfully responds. Despite all the imperfections of her husband, she's respectful towards him. And wives, I want to be very careful at this point. Because I don't want you to mishear me, but I also want to be very clear. If you're waiting for your husband to be perfect before you respect him, you're going to be waiting a really long time. And you've missed the whole point. Because you don't respond in respectfulness to your husband because he's worthy. You respond in respectfulness because God is worthy. And God tells us in our marriages, both husbands and wives, because it's reciprocal, right? Husbands, you love your wives. Husbands, is it ever tough to love your wife? Because just like you, that woman you married, she's a sinner too. But God says, listen, you love her. You love her like Christ loved the church. And wives, I can't imagine how difficult it must be some days. But you respect that man. You see the picture that God's painting here? In those marriages, in your interactions with one another, husbands, you love your wives. Wives, you respect your husbands. And that's Hannah. And I think Hannah would have been the first to admit, I ain't perfect in this but as best I can in this relationship to my husband, even though he's deeply flawed, I'm seeking to be faithful. And her faithfulness to Elkanah really, to me, flows out of her primary faithfulness to God. It's evident in this that Hannah loves God first and she loves God most. And it's her love for God, that primary affection for God that enables her to be the wife that God's called her to be. And so just as she loves her husband despite his flaws, she loves God despite the fact that it's a painful time for her. Despite her circumstances, she's going to love God with all her heart. And listen, if there's a woman who had a reason to be mad at God, it was Hannah. I mean, she's going through the pain of barrenness. And I can't imagine the pain that she was going through. And I know some of you have been through that. 12% of all married couples deal with some form of infertility. And it's painful. And what made Hannah's situation worse is that there's another woman in the home and she's having children left and right. I mean, you read the text, what does it say? 
It says in verse four, when the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah and his wife and to all her sons and all her daughters. Meaning Hannah's not having any children and Peninnah's having one in the spring and two in the fall. And so you talk about just adding insult to injury. And this doesn't go on just for a day or a week. Verse seven makes clear this went on year after year after year. Boy, this is a woman in pain. And you know what's interesting about this? God is clear about how this happened. Scripture doesn't pull any punches as to who caused this. Look at verse six. Who did this? It says the Lord had closed her womb. And I think scripture does this for two reasons. Number one, to show us that this is not a product of Hannah's sin. Hannah is faithful. And listen to me, you can do everything right in your life and life will still be painful sometimes. And God wants us to know in this situation, this is not a result of her sin. I did this. But I think God also tells us that the Lord caused this situation so that we would know that he's still in control. And I don't know about you, but whenever I'm going through some form of pain or trial, the one thing I got to know, I got to know God's still in control. I got to know there's somebody at the wheel driving this thing. And I got to know that he's good and that he has a purpose in it. And is there a purpose in Hannah's pain? Oh, yeah. But does she know it? Wouldn't it have been a whole lot easier if God had set Hannah down and said, Hannah, I got a purpose. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you pain, but then it's going to cause you to come to a place where you're going to take your child and you're going to give him back to me. And then I'm going to take that child and I'm going to use him to change a nation, draw the nation to myself. I'm going to use him to anoint the first great king of Israel, the one from whom the savior of the world will come. Wouldn't that have been a whole lot easier? And Hannah said, oh, I see it now and that'll be good. I think I can hang in there. But is that how God does it? And it's not the way he'll do it in your life either. God doesn't give us the end at the beginning. He just asks us to trust him. And he's going to ask Hannah, will you trust me? That I love you and that I have a purpose in this? And it will bring Hannah to a place of making total commitment to the Lord. This pain is going to drive her to her knees. In fact, you can see the commitment. Look at verse 11. O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant, remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son. And I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life. See, Hannah's... Long on pain, she's short on answers. She doesn't know exactly what's going on and she knows she's in a lot of pain. But here's what she does know. She knows God's her only hope. See, pain in your life is gonna do one of two things to you every time. We're all gonna have pain. In this world, you will have trouble. But the pain in your life is gonna do one of two things. It's either gonna push you closer to God, it's gonna push you away from God. 
And which way you go is going to make a huge difference in the trajectory of your life. And so Hannah's going through immense pain, but she's going to commit herself to the Lord. In fact, she's not only going to commit herself, she's going to commit her child. She goes, not only am I laying my life down, but God, I'm willing to lay the life of my child down. I'm going to give you everything. She's going all in with God, even in the midst of her pain. I'm going to lay it all down. I'm going to make total commitment to you, God, because you're my primary love. Boy, this is a woman of faithfulness. She's faithful in her marriage. She is faithful to God despite her circumstances. And guess what? God's going to answer Hannah's prayer. Look at, look at verses 19 through 20. She's going, she going to have a child. She's going to be faithful to her child. She's faithful in her marriage, faithful to God, faithful to her child. Look at 19 through 20. Then the, they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah and his wife. And, and the Lord remembered her. And it came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I've asked him of the Lord. So God grants her a child. She dedicates herself to this child. In fact, in verses 21 through 23, um, Elkanah's getting the family together. They're going to go back to Shiloh to worship. And what does Hannah say? She's now got this son, Samuel. They're loading up to go. And what does Hannah say? She says, I ain't going. And it's really an odd moment because you, it strikes me that Hannah is always the one who's just respectful. She's just kind of quiet and respectful. But at this moment, what does she say? I'm not going. And you think, what's going on here? Let me tell you what I think's going on here. I think Hannah at this moment realizes, I prayed a long time for this boy. And God gave me this boy, and I know I've only got him but for a short window of time, and I've got one responsibility. I've got to love on this boy, and I've got to show him that just as I love God, he needs to love God. And so I'm not going to waste time going on trips right now. I'm not going to be away from my child for weeks at time. I'm not going to take him on a long journey. I'm going to dedicate myself in this moment in time. I'm going to dedicate myself fully and completely to raising this child because i got a brief window of period of time. And listen to me, parents. Are we not in the same situation with our children? God grants us children as a gift from the Lord, and we get but a short window of time, don't we? Now, when you're staying up at all hours of the night, it feels like it's going to go on forever. <laughs> but you can ask any of those parents who just celebrated with their children at their high school graduation, the years go by really fast, folks. And the primary responsibility that God has given to us is to raise those children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord to ensure that just as we love Jesus, they love Jesus. And so it means that in our lives, we make different decisions, don't we? We have different values because we have a different goal. We have a different purpose. Our purpose is not just to raise children that go to college or make good grades or get a good job. Our job is to raise children that love Jesus. And we dedicate ourselves to that task. And we make decisions that the world looks at and says, boy, that's an odd decision. But we don't really care because we got different goals than the world's got. Now I remember young man had this job opportunity. Boy, he was advancing in his career like no other, and um, he was offered a position. And he met with his spiritual mentor, and he said, I'm the youngest guy that's ever been offered this position. 
And he went on to say, but it's going to require me to travel almost every week out of the year. And I've got three children, all under the ages of five, and I'm struggling. And he said it again. He said, but but I'm the youngest guy to ever get offered this position. And his spiritual mentor looked back at him and said, and you're also going to be the youngest guy to ever turn it down. Now, I'm not saying that you got to turn down jobs. I'm not telling you that, that don't mishear me on this. But what I am saying is we make decisions differently, don't we? Because my goal as a parent is to ensure that I'm raising children that love Jesus. And it requires as much devotion and attention as I can give to it. Now, ultimately, what does Hannah do? She takes her child right up to the presence of God. She loves him, and she points him to God, and then she takes him to the temple. I mean, she takes him right up to the presence of God. I mean, think about this. Samuel is going to grow up. He's going to sleep next to the Holy of Holies. There's a good chance when Samuel rolled over in the night, his elbow brushed up against the curtain that separated the people of God from the presence of God. It's an amazing fact. It's an amazing thought. But our job is no different. We're, we're to love our children in such a way that we usher them into the presence of God. Now, we don't worship at a temple anymore, and please don't drop your children off at the church, all right? We're, we're some good pastors, but you don't want to drop them off with us. But here's the reality. We don't worship a temple anymore because the Holy Spirit of God, the very presence of God, resides in our hearts, amen? And our prayer would be, that every day, as our children watch us, they would be ushered into the presence of God. And this doesn't mean you're perfect. Listen, nobody knows better than my boys that I'm not perfect. They've seen me at my worst. But I pray that they know that I love Jesus. As flawed as I am, I love him, and he's my only hope, and I pray that somehow they get just a glimpse of Jesus in my life. And as parents, that we would do the same, that we would usher our children in the very presence of God. Boy, this hand is a model of faithfulness, faithful in her marriage, faithful in her relationship with God, faithful to her child. And you know the coolest part of this story? The best part Look at 1 Samuel 2.21. Look at chapter 2.21. Flip over very quickly. It said, the Lord visited Hannah. And she gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. The reason why I like to read this verse is because it's a good reminder to us that you cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. Hannah's going to give everything she has to the Lord. Despite the pain, even when it seems completely abnormal and against all logic, she's going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful to a flawed man. I'm going to be faithful to God despite the pain. I'm going to be faithful to God in raising my child, even though I know I've only got this child for a short period of time, and I don't even know if I'll have any other children. But I'm going to be faithful in this task in every area of her life, faithful. She gave her life completely to God. And listen to me. I can guarantee you, if you asked Hannah, was it worth it? She said, I don't regret one bit of giving all of my life away to God. 
I'm here to challenge you today. Give your life to God. All of yourself in faithfulness, wherever you've placed you, wherever you're at today, no matter how difficult, how painful, give yourself to God in faithfulness to him. Faithful if you're married in your marriage. If you're a parent, faithfulness in your parenting. If you're single, faithfulness in your singleness. Wherever God has placed you, be faithful. And if you're here this morning and you're wondering, why in the world would you give all this self to this God who sometimes seems so painful in your life, then it could be that you don't understand what God has done for you. See, the idea is Romans 12, 1, therefore, in light of the mercies of God, I urge you, brethren, to offer your bodies. Why do we give everything back to God? Because he gave everything for us. Hannah's gonna offer her son. Is there somebody else who offered his son? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in light of the one who gave everything for us, the only logical response is to give everything back to him in faithfulness. And you know what? You can't lose because you can't outgive him because in his presence is the fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for your word that instructs us. God, I pray for, I know there's some people here today they are struggling God, I pray if there's any that are struggling just to release control of their life, to give all of themselves to you in obedience to your word. God, I pray that you would move in their heart to draw them to yourself. God, it's often in the laying down of our lives that we realize... (laughs) As difficult as it is sometimes to give up what we cling to, it's difficult to realize that what we gain in you is worth far more than anything we might give up. And God, if there's anybody here this morning that's just struggling with this decision to go all in with you, to be faithful in every area of their life, God, I pray that you would encourage them this morning. God, if there's anybody that doesn't know you this morning, never trusted in you with all their heart for salvation, I pray that you draw them to yourself. God, for those of us that do know you, help us to be faithful. Despite the circumstances, despite how difficult it might be, let us be faithful that we might demonstrate to this world that there's no greater joy than following Christ. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. I'm gonna invite you to stand with me this morning as we give you an opportunity to respond whatever way God might be leading on your heart. Maybe you have questions about salvation, how you can know Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you just wanna pray here at the altar. In whatever way God is leading on your heart this morning, know this, you'll never regret obeying Jesus. So you respond as we sing.